Hello, everybody, and welcome to Box Seat Banter. I'm your host, Billy Ballas, a longtime baseball coach, a season ticket holder, huge fan of baseball, and just always invested in baseball one way or another. Today, I am broadcasting from the Crawford Boxes here in Minute Maid Park, and joining me is a longtime Astros fan, Tony Adams, and you may know him. He created SignStealingScandal.com to kind of look into that Houston, the, the trash can banging. Um, it, it's an interesting website to look at that and uh, the analysis he's done. He's kind of made the podcast rounds. He was on with Ben Ryder. He was on Exceptionally Wild. Um, and we're Happy to have him join us here today on Box Seed Banter. Tony, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me, Billy. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and so, again, we're talking about the Astros. They began back in 1962 as the National League expansion team. They joined the league with the Mets, but they were not originally the Astros. They were the Houston Colt 45s, and... Then they changed their name to the Astros in 1965 to kind of honor NASA's connections to Houston and their move into the Astrodome. Um, Tony, were you around back in uh, 19? When, when did your fandom begin with the Astros? Uh, I started uh, becoming a fan of uh, late 70s, so 76, 77. Um, so definitely in the in the you know the the dome period. I got yeah. to go there quite a bit, but uh, that. You know, the opening of it was before my time. Is the Astros a much more fitting nickname than the Colt 45s? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, obviously, you know, at, at that time, space was everything. And it was, it was it's hard to understand now how big it was that the NASA was here. And, and uh, I think they also had some issues with the Colt 45 company. Uh-huh. And, some licensing issues that they were going to have to start mm. paying some licensing. For that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they went with a... Uh, a open source or some some free uh, naming uh, yeah. rights there. And of course, during like the the space race there in the sixties, yeah, I'm sure you know that was the something to witness, incredible. And so yeah, the Astros there in Houston makes total sense. And as we mentioned, you know they they played there in the Astrodome, the first domed stadium. It had some growing pains there early on. Um, but they played there from 65 to six uh, to 1999. Uh, it was, you know, deemed the eighth wonder of the world. Then they moved into Minute Maid Park, which was originally Enron Field. Um, but we know some, how Enron <laughs> worked out. And so they've been playing in Minute Maid Park since 2000. Uh, Tony, I understand you've attended games at both stadiums. You know, what are your thoughts on on each of those? Oh, uh, the Astrodome is, was an experience. It was just an audio-visual experience with a scoreboard going off whenever there was a big event. You know, a home run, you'd see the Cowboys shooting uh, and the, the bull with the horns. Uh, and uh, just this, the scale of it being inside in such a huge building uh, was just um, something that it was the only place you could, you could do it. Um, so that was very uh, much of, a, for particularly when I was younger, it was such a, a kind of a wonder to go there and, and, and it was such a treat. And uh, so that was, was a great uh, um, and just a unique experience that you really weren't having anywhere else in, in the world at the time. Um, uh, but it was definitely showing its age uh, by mm -hmm. the end there. And it was definitely time for, for uh, uh, 
a, a, another ballpark. And also the Astrodome was built for football and baseball. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of, wasn't great for baseball. You were really kind of far away from the, from the action sometimes, but right. Uh, so when they built Minute Maid, one of the things they wanted to do was get people closer to the action to make it more like the old ballparks where mm-hmm. a lot of overhang and, and uh, you're right there. And uh, it really is a very nice uh, park to watch a baseball game in. It's just very, uh, no, no bad lines, no bad seats. It's just uh, very intimate. You can walk around lots of points where you can stop and, and take a look at the game from, from, you know, back from the outfield or, or, uh, you know, any, any particular point. So it's a really, it's a great park and, and uh, it's really served uh, the city and, and the team very well. Yeah. Although they play on, on natural grass there. I mean, it made park, don't they? They, they do. Yes. Is it's that kind of, is that blasphemous for the Astros to not play on AstroTurf? <laughs> no, I think that I'm, I, I don't miss AstroTurf. I, I think the players don't miss it either. Yeah, I don't think uh, their knees do, that's for sure. Yeah, it, you know, the way those, the AstroDome too, it was so big. And with that AstroTurf, you know, uh, and it was the long fields, if you got a ball on that AstroTurf heading for the gaps, it was triple city, you know, there yeah. was just so many triples. And, <laughs> You couldn't hit too many out of the park until they moved the fences in, but boy, you could get a lot of extra bases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and, and I don't think people realize, you know, cause now the, the scoreboards is, you know, commonplace. They got huge HD color scoreboards oh, yeah. and all kinds of stuff. But at the Astrodome back then with, with that exploding scoreboard, you know, that was novel at the time. Yeah, and, you know, particularly inside with the noise and the lights, and it was just the scale of it was just hard to understand at this point because it would start on one side and it would go to the next, and then and, and it was just it was sensory overload almost. You know, it was just particularly if your kid hopped up on popcorn and, and cotton candy, you know, <laughs> yeah. seeing all the lights and then and the noise, it was just like oh my gosh, it was just it was really amazing. Yeah, not like uh, not like going to a game at Wrigley Field, that's for sure. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, so now looking back um, at the Astros, so they they played in the National League and then they were in the NL West from 69 to 93. Then they, when divisional play began in 94, they played in the NL Central from 94 to 2012. And then they switched leagues yeah. to the AL and they've been in the AL West <laughs> since 2013. So a rare team that's been in three different divisions. I think, you know, yeah. they and the Brewers have both switch leagues over time what was it like as a fan adjusting from the switch to the national league to the american league uh well obviously there's a big difference is the designated hitter and uh you know coming from the national league i was uh really opposed to the to the uh the uh, designated hitter it was it's it, you know for i wasn't thinking it was baseball but as time has gone on, I've actually come to appreciate the designated hitter, particularly <laughs> as pitchers have become less and less competent at, at, at hitting. You know, it seems that uh, <laughs> it, it's just it's basically it's an out and it, now we don't even do sacrifices that much anymore. It's just, yeah. it, it's, it's uh, so uh, it, it was, it's a little disappointing that we had to go to the American League. We were kind of forced to, mm-hmm. um, but, um, but uh, you know, it, and also, it's West coast and, and um, Houston's in the central. So the time difference makes, a, right. makes it difficult on, on fans. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good point. Games can start at nine o'clock, which is pretty tough, uh, uh, particularly for younger kids. Um, but uh, 
in general, you know, it's, 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 it's been okay. And, and like I said, I've become to appreciate the designated hitter and I'm looking forward to getting rid of it in the, the national league. So I don't, we don't see our hitters, you know, our pitchers batting and, and when we're playing in L teams and their, in their fields. <laughs> yeah. So now they've had uh, they've had a, quite a bit of success here in the past quarter century. They had a run there in the nineties where they won the NL central in 97, 98, 99 and 01. Um, and then they also won the NL wild card in 04 and 05. So quite a few playoff appearances there in that short stretch. Right. right. That's the Biggio Bagwell era. And exactly. the, those, era. the killer bees, the killer bees. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they, they won the NL pennant there in 05, that kind of final year of their, their playoff stretches there. Um, when they moved over to the American league, uh, it took them a few years to get going, but once they did, they, they've been successful. They won the West in 2017, 18, and 19, three years in a row. Um, they won the wild card in 2015, and then again this year in 2020. And they have, along with that NL pennant in 05, they've got two AL pennants in 2017 and 2019. And they won that 2017 World Series. So then we kind of get to the elephant in the room when we bring up 2017. <laughs> the, the asterisks in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, which again, it prompted you to, to build that scandal.com website. Um, so I guess we can talk about it here. You know, we, we've got to address it at some point. We're, it's not going to be the focus of this episode. You know, we're going to talk about the the shining history of the Astros, like you mentioned, the killer bees and some of the other great players in the past quarter century. Uh, but we do have to bring up this 2017 world series. Uh, so, you know, as a, as a Dodger fan, you know, I was on the other end of it. Um, what are your thoughts on that 2017 world series? Cause I know there's, there's a lot of Astros fans out there that kind of just push it off to the side and, and say everyone does it or something and they tried to you know say that it's it's kind of justified in some way or another um what are your thoughts on that well i uh i think one of the problems with anybody cheating is that it, it t- tilts the playing field to some mm-hmm. degree the question is did it tilt the playing field enough to make a difference and unfortunately it's impossible to really know that and um uh it's not fair that they were cheating during that that season, uh, and it, it obviously, like I said, it did tilt the playing field to some degree, uh, and so I can't feel the same about that that the World Series win as I could if you know we knew that it was you know there was no cheating going on that year. Um, for so many people in Houston, that that World Series meant so much. Yeah, understandably uh, so after everything that everybody went through. It was, uh, you know, it was right after Harvey and so many people were displaced. I had lost my house and all my car and basically everything I owned and was displaced for over a year. Uh, the, the city was really reeling. And, and even just if it wasn't right after Harvey, you know, we'd been uh, winless for so many years. You know, a lot of people um, uh, had been fans for a long time and actually, you know, were never able to see that and finally get over that hump. It was really exciting. So I understand Astros fans that that say um, that regardless of what happened here that year, the feeling that they had at that moment is still special to them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for me, you know, I looking back, it did mean a lot to me, but it's still um, something that that doesn't quite have the same shine as it did mm-hmm. Back mm-hmm. when it first happened. Yeah, understandable. I think that's an appropriate reaction and feelings towards towards that. Um, yeah, because that's in the moment you're living it. It's very exciting. It, it was an incredible World Series, the seven games. Um, you know, several of them very exciting, very close. Um, and so, it, yeah, in that moment, you're you're living very emotional. You're on those highs, and yeah. so those feelings occurred. There's no debating that. And right. yeah, but the aftermath kind of you you did it made it made a lot of sense. Kind of take some luster off of that. Yeah. And like I said, you know, uh, uh, would it have made a difference if, if they weren't uh, cheating? It's impossible to say. I mean, it, it's easy to say if I understand how Dodger fans or any other team might say that, yeah, of course, it made a difference. But the reality is, you know, we don't know for sure how it would have turned out otherwise. And, and, and that's actually one of the biggest things that they stole from us is the, the true outcome of, of that competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, now kind of jumping back into something a little more positive again for the Astros as we finish up this opening segment, uh, they've retired uh, a few numbers in their organization. Um, number five retired for Jeff Bagwell, number seven for Craig Biggio, a couple members of those killer bees, and we'll kind of touch on them a little more later in the program. Uh, number 24 is retired for the toy cannon, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Wynn. Number 25 for Jose Cruz Sr. Number 32 is uh, retired for uh, James Umbricht. And that was a name I didn't really recognize. Um, So I found it odd that his number was retired, but he actually, he he had melanoma and he died at 33 um, during his playing career. Uh, So the Astros honored him. 33 retired from Mike Scott, the great pitcher for the Astros and another great pitcher. Nolan Ryan has his number 34 retired. And then number 40 is retired for another player who died prematurely. Don Wilson, um, number 49 retired for Larry Durker. And then of course, 42 re- uh, retired for Jackie Robinson is retired throughout baseball. Um, do you have any, fun connections to any of these these players here with their numbers retired oh you know when Nolan Ryan came along that was something he was the first million dollar contract uh and uh you know that was uh, 1980 um and uh that was very exciting and I was I think 13 or 14 when he first signed and and uh, you know that and he was coming back back home basically he was right. born just outside of tech, uh, outside of Houston so it was it was really exciting and uh uh and obviously Biggio and Bagwell are, are just, you know, the penultimate Astros. And both of them started basically about the same time and spending their entire careers here and being both Hall of Famers. It's, it's pretty unusual for that to happen these days. Yeah, yeah, very unusual. So, yeah, that's a, that's a kind of look at the, the Astros organization, and then we'll get to more in just a moment. Tony, every week on the program – uh, I have a trivia question, and uh, so last week on the program, I talked about the A's, but actually, I forgot to answer one of the trivia questions about the Rangers, um, and this was kind of a bonus trivia question I had. Usually, I like to keep the trivia questions, you know, within the past quarter century, but one of the Rangers 
things I had, it, it just seemed too good not to include. And that question was, who was the first manager of the Texas Rangers? Because on that program, you may remember, we we discussed how the, the Texas Rangers began play in D.C. and then moved to Texas. Uh, I forget exactly what year that was, in the 60s, I believe. Um, but so when they moved to Texas, who was their first manager? Who was the manager at that time? I forgot to answer this question on the A's episode, so I'm answering it here. Before I give the answer, Tony, do you know who the first manager of the Texas Rangers was? I believe it's Ted Williams. Yeah, Ted Williams. And again, is, that was, yeah. It's very odd to see him, pictures of him in a Rangers uniform. Yeah. And in the, in the, uh, the Washington Senators. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was just, you know, that name was too big to not include. Um, you know, I had a different trivia question with the Rangers as well for the past 25 years, but I wanted to mention that because that was yeah. such a interesting one. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people remember that or know that, you know. Yeah. And, uh, so Joey, who was the, my guest for the Rangers, he he failed to remember that one. So that was that's a nice pull there. Um, now the last week talking about the Athletics, um, I had a couple. One of them was was not the most positive one, which was who hit the ball where Jeter had his famous flip play. The ball was hit, you know, down into the right field corner. Uh, a lot of people remember that Jeremy Giambi was the one thrown out at the plate. Um, Allegedly. The <laughs> but then who, you know, people don't, not everyone remembers who hit the ball. Uh, Tony, do you remember who hit that ball? Honestly, I was looking at this play this week, but I, I didn't focus on who hit the ball. It was, uh, you know, left-handed batter as he pulled it, you know, down into the right field corner. And Matt, who was my guest on the, A's podcast he he did remember this one it was Terrence Long Terrence Long hit that ball he was also Terrence Long I think he was also the one who's thrown out at third with you know Ichiro's laser throw there you know early in his rookie years Terrence Long kind of at the involved in a couple not so great moments there yeah I don't think his jersey sells pretty well (laughs) for them um and then the the kind of more positive question for the A's which was who are their which players are their major award winners in the past 25 century that's MVP Cy Young and rookie of the year um they had uh four rookie of the years um, one Cy Young and two MVP awards in this period. Um, you know, I know you're not an A's guy, Tony, but do you, do you want to throw out a guess or do you want to uh, pass on that one? Randy Johnson with the Cy Young? No, no we're no. talking A's. Oh, I'm sorry, A's. Oh, geez. Uh-huh. We're talking Seattle for some reason. Um, I uh, couldn't, couldn't tell you. Uh, yeah, they've got Matt had the uh, he, he had the Cy Young and the two MVPs. Zito won the Cy Young in 02, one of the members of their big three pitchers. And then uh, Jason Giambi won the 2000 MVP, and Miguel Tejada won the 02 MVP. Mm, and then their Rookie of the Years, I think, uh, yeah, Matt had Bobby Crosby, who won the Rookie of the Year in 04. I forget if he, if he had any of the other Rookie of the Years, but Ben Grieve won the Rookie of the Year in 98. Then um, Houston Street in 05, and then Andrew Bailey in 09. 
So those are their uh, major award winners in the past, you know, going back to 95. So that brings us to today's trivia question about the Astros. So Tony, in the past um, 25 years, the Astros have had the number one overall pick three times, and they had it three years in a row, 2012, 2013, and 2014. Do you remember, can you name any of their one one picks uh correa okay carlos correa bregman bregman and uh adele adele no um no i was close though i think i think i got the name wrong oh uh, yeah i think i know who I, I i know who you're trying to say um so i'll give you i'll i'll say that you've got one and a half correct um giving you a half point for the last one. Uh, okay. I, I won't say who's right between the other two. Um, I'll give that, I'll give that answer on the show next week. All right. um, but you know, any, any listeners, if you want to throw a guess out there, you know, you can do so on social media. That's at boxy banter on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, now the Astros, they, they were owned by originally, they were owned by the judge uh, Roy Hoffines. Um, which, you know, Ben Ryder had a nice little, yeah. uh, you know, bio on, on the judge on, on his podcast about I think the edge, the one that you were on an episode of that. Uh, now he owned the team from 62 to 75. Um, then GE and Ford owned the team from 75 to 79. They sold the team to John McMullen, who owned the team for little over a decade from 79 to 92 and Drayton McLean Jr. owned the team from 92 to 2011 so he was there for that the, the success there in the 90s and early 2000s and then Jim Crane bought the team in 2011 um, and I think part of his buying the team they had to move it over to the American League. Right. But Jim Crane has owned it since 2011. Uh, you know, a lot of owners are kind of, you know, laying back in the shadows. You know, I don't know how many owners of MLB teams the average fan can name, but I think Jim Crane is one of them <laughs> due to his, uh, <laughs> his appearance in, in the public eye for uh, so often in the past past couple of years um yeah. thoughts on any of these owners who, who's done a good job in anything uh, well obviously Roy Hoffines is a Houston legend and mm -hmm. and just his vision of of the whole Astrodome and the whole complex and and um you know bringing the Astros here it, it, it's 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 mythical at this point you know the, particularly the, the old Astrodome he had a, his own apartment there and bowling alleys in the back you know with, with in the, just crazy stuff and uh you know so he it, it was um he, he like i said he's he's just a huge uh houston legend um, um john mcmullen was really kind of known as he was a new yorker and he, he just wasn't really seen as a, a houston guy and was think, thought more of as, as an investor mm. and uh and drayton mclean you know he's he's a relatively local guy and he's he's just a good old country boy and then he really tried to make things more personable and, and um, brought us into minute Maid park and then got that uh, built and uh, uh, and had some really good success, you know. Um, at the end, he did 
start the uh, the tanking years. So a lot of people have <laughs> bad memories of that, you know, but he was basically trying to reduce the payroll so that he could sell the team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and obviously Jim Crane, you know, he's, uh, has a bad reputation now, but he's actually been a very progressive uh, owner and, you know, really uh, has kind of, I think changed the game as far as bringing in Lunau and mm-hmm. with the analytics aspects of how they, they run the team. Um, you know, some people may not like the changes that have happened, you know, where analytics run, rule the day. Um, but uh, it really is the way things are done these days. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, talking about Lunau, we'll kind of segue into the GMs here. Um, in the past quarter century, um, going back to 95, uh, Jerry Hunsaker was their GM from 95 to 04. So about a decade run there for him. And again, that was their stretch was the killer bees there in the mid nineties, early two thousands. Tim Perpura was the GM from 04 to 07. And then another stretch with a few years, Ed Wade at the end of that um, Drake McLean Jr. era. So Ed Wade was there from 07 to 2011. And then Jeff Lunau, as you mentioned there with Jim Crane, he came in in 2011. He was the GM until he was unceremoniously relieved of his duties in 2019 and then James Click is their current GM who I think believe came over from Tampa Bay uh, so yeah you mentioned the analytics and you know Jeff Lunau was kind of ahead of the game uh, regarding a lot of that stuff so you know any, any more comments on Lunau or any of these other GMs uh, you know Lunau obviously it's hard to look at him now without bringing up the, the scandal, um, but, uh, and a lot of people in baseball particularly didn't like Jeff Lunell because of his analytical mind and his kind of, uh, it, it's it's very clinical in a way, you know, the mm-hmm. numbers basically rule the day. So there's not the, uh, the, the, the touchy feely stuff that, you know, that a lot of baseball teams go with. And then, you know, uh, uh, so I think a lot, he really rubbed people the wrong way, but in the end, I think that his methods have shown to be, you know, uh, very valuable and then and, and like I said a lot of teams are basically doing the same thing that the Astros have been doing for years mm-hmm. yeah. and click is kind of I think coming from the the Tampa Bay you know the Tampa Bay being a small market they have to use analytics to try to get the value you know in players uh, obviously they are very well known for developing players and then once they get to the point where they're going to be making some money dropping them off and trying to develop some more players to replace them so yeah um, uh, you know, that type of, of, of looking at the numbers instead of the, the actual, you know, human beings or the people involved mm-hmm. is, is something that, that um, uh, is, is necessary, I think, for some teams. But uh, like I said, a lot of teams, a lot of people, they, it rubs them the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. We saw the, the kind of beginning of the, the analytics with the Moneyball A's. Uh, then this yeah. is kind of like a, a different take on it because, I mean, so many teams were kind of figuring that out. Uh, then this is kind of like that second wave of it. Yeah. And Luna right. and the Astros were, were ahead of the curve on, on that one with right. so much stuff. And, and the data available now is so much more and they can do so much more with it, you know, with the, the pitch tracking and then mm-hmm. the spin rates that they can measure. Uh, it's really remarkable what they can do. Yeah. And it has, I mean, you, you have to, as a, as an organization, you have to be on that um, if you want to compete but I think as a fan, I don't know what your feelings are. As a fan, it's not as entertaining of a product. But if if you don't try to do that, you will fall behind as a team and you're not right, going right. to compete. Well, fans, you know, 
we have emotional attachments to players and the team and, and, and certain, you know, things and, and analytics take the emotion out of it. And um, like I said, it's very clinical, you know, it's very, you know, this is the numbers and, and uh, this is what we're going to do. And, and sometimes that doesn't work like we saw in the world series where they, they, uh, um, uh, you know, decided that they wouldn't keep the starting pitcher in for the third rotation. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it may have cost them, but, uh, 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 but in general, you know, with analytics, you have to go with, with them, uh, because they, they have shown to be, be accurate over time. Yeah. Yeah. And if we look at the teams that have been in the world series in the past, you know, five years, they're, they're all heavily invested in that kind of stuff. So yeah, it might not, you mentioned, you know, it, it didn't work out for, you know, the, the Rays taking Snell out. And I think the, um, you know, the Astros, they took out, they took Granky out of that game they early. Right. Granky, and yeah. it's, yeah. um, it kind of kind of came back to cost both of them, but I mean, on the flip side, you know, the teams that they were playing against were also heavily invested in analytics. So it's not like analytics lost either of those world series because the other teams right them to win. But the analytics, it's, it's all, you know, it's like anything else. It's a bell curve and it's going to work most of the times. It's not exactly. going to work all the times and you can't, you know, stop and, and, and stop using analytics because the, the outlier events that happen, you know, you have to stick with it. Otherwise, you know, you basically you're not using analytics at all. Exactly. Uh, and so now to kind of get back into the emotional part of the game, you know, some of the managers can be pretty fiery and emotional. So now we'll, we'll touch on the managers and we'll see how, how many of them you can remember from the past quarter century. I've got a little tidbit on each uh, manager and see if you can identify him from the tidbit. So we're going again in this in this past quarter century, uh, the first manager that I'm touching on, uh, he was actually blamed by Joe Morgan and Joe Morgan, you know, the hall of famer, uh, most associated with the reds, but he, he did play for the Astros for a while. Um, and Joe Morgan blamed this manager for the lack of postseason appearances. And so this manager was at the helm for three years and they had three winning seasons, um, but Joe Morgan said that he was too uptight and, you know, the players kind of fed off that and they were not able to play that loosely. Um, so despite three winning seasons, no postseason appearances and Joe Morgan blamed it on this manager. Do you remember who that was? Honestly, I, I don't recall that one. Uh, that was Terry Collins. Terry um, Collins, yeah. 94 to 96. He later went on to have some success with the Mets. Um, yeah, Terry Collins there. And then they hired a manager who made his major league debut as a pitcher at age 18. Uh, You know, tough to fathom that right now in these days, uh, especially for a domestic player. Made his major league debut at age 18, and he struck out Willie Mays in the first inning. (laughs) Any idea on who that is? That's Larry Durker. Yeah, Larry Durker. So he managed the team from 97 to 01. He was actually the broadcaster the year before. They brought him from the broadcast booth to to, to manage the team. I think he's a a lifelong Astro, if I remember correctly. right. That's right. He started at 18. Yeah, Yeah, uh, he is the only organization he's been a part of. You mentioned a broadcaster. Uh, So he played with the Astros, obviously managed with the Astros. He was one of the ones who had his number retired is uh, number 49 retired by the Astros. So yeah. And he 
he did take him to the playoffs a few times there at the end of the nineties there. Um, uh, he's and, the opposite of, of uptight. He's yeah. <laughs> I think, I think Joe Morgan's comment was after they went to the playoffs with Larry Durker. And I think, I think yeah. he may have pointed out the differences there. Yeah. Larry Durker's uh, famous for his Hawaiian shirts and just his laid back attitude. He's just, <laughs> so it's, 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 I think they may have gone that direction because of Terry <laughs> Collins. <laughs> Um, and then uh, another kind of we'll touch on this another manager's debut as a player as a batter the first pitcher he faced was Sandy Koufax so I mean welcome to the big skate here you go Um, and unsurprisingly he struck out and the first hit that he got um, and that that, that game actually uh, the, the, where he struck out against Koufax um, it was Dodgers against Cardinals Koufax versus Gibson. So, you know, quite a first game to be involved in there. Um, and then his first hit was recorded off of Juan Marichal. So another hall of famer. Um, any, any idea on who that manager could be? It's not coming to my mind right now. Uh, Jimmy Williams. Oh, yeah. So yeah, he was manager there for a few years from Oh two to Oh four. Um, yeah, these are, it's, I think it's tough to pull some of these managers from these facts. Uh, some of them, uh, I may have, I know Terry Collins, I talked about previously on, on the Mets. Um, so, uh, and there's another one of these managers, at least one more who, who I've mentioned on prior podcasts and I don't want to pull the same, the same fact. So some of these guys, I'm digging a little deeper. It's tough to identify some of them. And this one is one of those, this manager as a player, again, we're going back to some kind of first or last or something that this guy did as a player. He recorded the 10,000th hit in A's history. So, I mean, it's pretty impressive that they can even track that. Um, And, but this guy recorded the 10,000th hit in A's history uh, he was the manager after Jimmy Williams. Any any remembrance on who that would be? Oh, I, I, I'm I'm sorry, my mind is was drawn a blank. Uh, Phil Garner. Oh my gosh. So yeah, Phil he was Garner. there for a few years from '04 yeah, to '07. He played with the Astros for 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 a stretch too, and then the '80s. Mm-hmm. Um, then <clears throat> after Garner, they had a manager who, as a player. He's the single season hits leader for the Brewers. He had 219 hits in 1980. He's also a three-time silver slugger, a two-time gold glover, and a five-time all-star as a player. Any Uh, idea on who that is? You know, I think I need to get another cup of coffee because my mind is not working right now. (laughs) Uh, Cecil Cooper. Cecil Cooper. Yeah, Yeah, so he was there 07-09. You know, pretty impressive there. They single season hit leader for the brewers i probably would have guessed like yount or something but 219 hits in 1980 that's a lot of hits yeah um and yeah the brewers so they're they're the other team that over the years switched leagues i think prior to the astros switching the brewers moved from the al to the nl um then they had a manager who in 1983 he was nolan ryan's 3,509th strikeout victim, which moved <laughs> Nolan Ryan past Walter Johnson for first all time. And then Nolan Ryan would go on a strikeout, you know, over 1,500 more to get over 5,000 strikeouts. Wow. No wonder why he had his number retired by 
the Astros and I think uh, some other teams as well. Um, so yeah, this, this player, again, these are, these are tough ones, but any idea on who that would be? Any yeah. Reason? I'm going to have to tap out on this one too. I, my, my recall of managers isn't what I thought it was. Uh, Brad Mills. So he was there for a Mills. few years. Um, then this manager was, he was a multi-sport guy and in college in the, he went to Iowa. He was all big 10 in both football and baseball for Iowa. So an impressive athlete and guesses on who this is. Um, sorry. Uh, Bo Porter. <laughs> oh, Porter. Okay. Yeah. So he was there kind of, um, you know, during those lean tanking years, I think yeah. Brad Mills and Bo Porter, that stretch there. Was, There's a uh, weird thing that with Astros, that's, that's kind of a dark period because they literally were not on television from, from most of the, the town. They had a contract dispute and they were mm. only on like 20% of the, the cables. Yeah, so, we, we know about that in LA. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's it's difficult to keep up with some of the, the, the team, you know, if you can't watch them. Yeah, and that was, I mean, also it's it was not the most entertaining product on the field, as you mentioned, that tanking yeah. process and, you know, Going back to that trivia question, they had three number one picks in a row. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of losing lean years there. But then things uh, took an uptick when this manager was around. He was a bronze medalist for Team USA baseball in the '96 Olympics. Um, and yeah, you may not remember him from from that. I don't know. If, no. You would know those, but he he was the manager from 2015 to 2019. Yeah, AJ Hitch. There you go. Um, and then he was obviously let go after being after receiving that one year suspension. He's he's since been hired in Detroit. Detroit. Um, and then we come to the current manager, who is the first manager. And here's, a, here's an easier trivia question regarding the managers. The first manager to lead five different teams to the postseason. Yeah, Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker. <laughs> yeah. um, he's, you know, I think, uh, you know, right now in, in mid to late January, you know, a lot of people are talking about the Hall of Fame. I think the Hall of Fame voting will be announced shortly. I forget the exact date. Um, so Hall of Fame is, is a kind of topic of discussion among baseball people right now. Dusty Baker, not in the Hall of Fame. His He had a great, great playing career, um, but not quite Hall of Fame level. Right. And he's also had a, a great managerial career. As we see, he's led five different teams to the postseason. Um has come up short each time. He's, he's been to the World Series, I want to say once with the O2 Giants. Um, I forget, you know, he's had some other great teams. Uh, no World Series wins. So his managerial career probably short um, when you look at the Hall of Fame credentials. But, you know, when you add them together, you, you got yeah. a Hall of Fame player. And I, I've seen the argument made that, you know, when discussing Hall of Fame, you can, you should kind of, maybe there should be a category for like baseball life. Yeah. And if you include both of those, because right now they have to look at either the player or the manager, but if you include both, I mean, Dusty Baker, that's a great example right. of that. Oh yeah. And he's so well liked, you know, with, with just about everybody, he's such a, a good guy and just, um, you know, uh, and he had, a, like you said, he had a very, very good career, a lot of good years with the Dodgers and, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, very successful. Um, but, uh, 
like you said, if they were to t- take a look at both of the, his careers, I think that he's, he's for sure in. And, um, you know, it would be nice for him to actually get in because he, like I said, he's such a cool guy. He's just, yeah. he's dusty. You know, yeah. He, I mean, he created the high five. He exactly. should get in for that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, so you kind of touched on Larry Durker, his laid back style, um, Dusty Baker, any other thoughts on any of these other managers here? Um, uh, AJ Hinch was just like, he was a great manager. He just, uh, it's unfortunate what happened and he, he bears a lot of the responsibility. I mean, the fact that it happened and he knew it was happening, he didn't want it to happen, but he couldn't stop it or didn't stop it. It's really, um, uh, inexcusable for a manager to allow that to go on if you, if you didn't want it to happen. Uh, you know, the report was that he, when with the sign stealing, that the monitor that they were using, that he he busted it twice mm-hmm. to show his displeasure, you know, when he should have just said stop. Mm-hmm. You know, it stops now. So yeah. it's unfortunate that that, that that has tainted his his career because uh, I was thought we had a manager for life with A.J. Hinch. He's just mm-hmm. that type of guy that he communicates well. He's smart. Um, he, he's, a, he's both a, a player's coach and, a, 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 you know, analytical smart coach, you know, he mm-hmm. handles both of those very well. Um, but, uh, it's unfortunate how it all ended with him. Yeah. So those are the managers. And then in just a moment, we'll look at the players of the past 25 years. Tony, now let's talk about the players from the Astros from the past quarter century and this roster I've assembled. And just a quick reminder to all the listeners out there, when you're assembling this roster, the rules are you go back 25 years. Um, I did this prior to the 2020 season. So this was from uh, 1995 to 2019. Um, you pick one player per year. You cannot repeat players, and you must form a coherent roster. So we'll start here at the catcher position. I've got Jason Castro, a lefty from 2013. He was worth 4.2 wins. Um, decent on base uh, percentage, 350, a triple slash with 276, 350, 485. Um, above average with a stick there, um, 18 home runs. Then at first base, Jeff Bagwell uh, from 1996, he was worth seven and a half wins, led the league with 48 doubles, hit 31 bombs, drove in 120, triple slash of 315, 451, 570, OPS of over 1,000, OPS plus of 178. Wow, there's a reason why he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And then his neighbor there on the infield at second base, Craig Biggio in 97, worth 9.4 wins, led the league in runs, 146 runs, um, (laughs) ton of runs. I mean, he great on base skills, got on base at over a 400 clip. And when you do that and you're hitting in front of Jeff Bagwell, who's driving in a ton, you know, it makes sense that he's scoring 146 Uh, 37 doubles, 22 home runs, and 34 hit-by-pitches. He was an all-star, gold glove, and silver slugger. Um, Bregman is at the hot corner from 2018. He was worth 7.3 wins. He led the league in doubles with 51, drove in over 100, hit over 30 bombs, uh, triple slash, 286, 394, 532. 
Uh, then rounding out the infield, Carlos Correa, 2017, he is worth 6.6 .6 wins, uh, 24 bombs, 25 doubles. Um, oh, I want to kind of go back uh, just uh, that I failed to mention. Bagwell stole 21 bags. Biggio swiped 47. So a lot of speed on that right side yeah. of the infield as well. Um, and then, yeah, so back to Correa, um, 24 24 bombs, 25 doubles, uh, 315, 391, 550, triple slash, good for a 155 OPS plus, also an all-star. Um, a lot of firepower from this infield. What do you think, Tony? How do, how do these guys, what are your thoughts on these guys? Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's that's the classic infield. Uh, obviously, second base, you know, you have Craig Biggio and we now have Altuve, so that, that that's obviously a, a debate at long term if uh, who will be the the best at that particular position but at you know at this particular point in, in Altuve's career you got to go with with uh, with Biggio um and uh, uh and Bregman at third you know he's 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 just a, a great player and great defense uh um so yeah I would like to go into the field with with the, that starting infield uh Jason Castro is the outlier there I think um you know I think that that was probably a, a unique year for him although we just signed him again he, he left and he, that's we just right <laughs> so he's coming back and and uh, there's been some debate among fans you know if we want him back because he had a great year this year but he he I think after this year started to strike out quite a bit more and mm -hmm. and uh, uh his, his his bat skills um declined uh but you know that's that's happens with catchers um are you know if he can catch and, and give you you know good quality production then he's very valuable so mm -hmm. uh um, and obviously you know bagwell at first he's uh biggio and bagwell are the are the you know the all-time astros and and i can just see bagwell stance and that, that crazy stance he had and yeah and the thing to remember about bagwell too particularly with his career numbers uh is that he was hitting at the beginning of his career in the Astrodome and it was not easy to hit home runs. So, right. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, if he were playing in, you know, some other, uh, stadium where it was a little easier to get the ball out, he, you know, his numbers would be a lot better, but, uh, um, uh, yeah, like I said, and, and Correa at short, he's an amazing shortstop and, and, um, uh, uh you know, he's, <laughs> Obviously, he's kind of uh, with other fans. He's uh, right. kind of taking on the the WWE of uh, uh, you know, evil, yep. <laughs> uh, bad guy, you know, image. But uh, he's embraced it to a certain degree, and you know, particularly in this off season, he backed it up, and so he's really become kind of the team spokesman. And a lot of fans are are, are really um, just uh, really. Uh, have taken him even more than they had previously because of the way he's kind of defended the team. And, uh, and like I said, he talked to talk and, but he, he, he walked the walk, he backed it up. You know, if you're going to talk crap, you better be able to, to back it up. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and I, as far as this roster goes, Bregman fits in well with, with Bagwell and Biggio as a member of the, the killer bees, the killer bees and yes, Bagwell. Yeah. That's gotta be one of the all time trade heists, you know, I think oh, they yeah. got him from Boston, right? For, um, yeah. Um, um, I forget the pitcher's name, but yeah. Yeah, it was like a reliever or something. That yeah, sent to Larry Boston. Anderson. Larry Anderson. Yeah. And I think he was with Boston for a year, maybe. And I think they were trying to, you know, rent him for a year to get into the playoffs. And, and uh, yeah, that was that was, uh, that was was a big time heist from <laughs> Boston. <laughs> yeah. So. so now as we get into the outfield here, 
another another killer B, Lance Berkman, the switch hitter. I've got him in left field in 01. Uh, led the league in 55 doubles, hit 34 bombs, drove in 126, um, triple slash 331, 430, 620. 161 OPS plus huge number there from from Berkman yeah um Richard Hidalgo in center field in 2000 he was worth 6.3 wins uh 44 44 home runs from Hidalgo 42 doubles um slugged over 600 that year uh impressive impressive power numbers from Hidalgo then in right field Hunter Pence in 2011 worth three and a half wins uh, kind of before Hunter Pence really started to take off, but um, productive years there for the Astros. Uh, then at DH, I've got Chris Carter in 2014. Uh, he hit 37 bombs that year for the Astros. So any thoughts on on the rest of this starting uh, starting lineup here that I've got for the Astros? Yeah, Lance Berkman is, is you know, he's just a great guy. And he, he's, he luckily, you know, went to St. Louis and was able to win a championship there. But, uh, you know, he was a big fan favorite. And Hunter Pence, you know, anybody that knows Hunter Pence, he's just, he's a crazy guy and, and kooky. When he came up, it was that run he has and his, <laughs> his, the way he wears his, his, his pants and just his, his whole attitude he immediately became a fan favorite before he even really took the field, just running out to, to the outfield. <laughs> you know, he just, you know, you just knew something was different about him when you, when you first saw him and uh, he obviously retired after this season and uh, I wish him well in his retirement, but he, he was a, a big fan favorite and just a great guy. And Hidalgo, you know, particularly that year was just a big stick. He just could, could smash. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a pretty good outfield. Yeah, and as we get to the bench here, um, you mentioned when we talked about Biggio at second base, Jose Altuve got him as the backup second baseman in 2016. He was worth 7.9 wins, 216 hits, led the league, uh, swiped 30 bags. It, it did come as a price. He did get caught 10 times, which also led the league. He led the league in batting at 338, also hit 24 bombs. Um, so nice, nice power production there from a second baseman and from a small package you know if, if yeah. we didn't already have jimmy win as the toy can and i think that that name would fit jose altuve pretty well um ty wigington in 08 he was only worth 2.2 wins he did hit 23 bombs 22 doubles um he played uh played uh some third played a little left field as well uh, then Michael Bourne as a backup outfielder in 2010, swiped 52 bags that year. So, you know, if you if you need some speed, you could put him in there, put him in for defense as well, because he's a great defender. He's worth 3.5 wins with the glove. He was a gold glover out there. Yeah. And then the backup catcher, I forgot that this guy played for the Astros, although he didn't have his best year. Uh, far from it, but uh, Pudge Rodriguez in 09 at the tail end of his career, I've got him as the backup catcher. So, yeah, any thoughts on this bench before we move along to the pitchers? Uh, Avi Jose, Jose Altuve is, is is a huge Astros fans favorite. And, um, um, you know, again, we have the issue with with the, the sign stealing kind of tainting uh, his his image from across the league. Although my Logging of the of the the banging showed that he didn't actually participate in the banging scheme, but uh, uh, he still has become you know kind of the uh, the guy that's taking the the, the brunt of most of the uh, the hate, um, which is unfortunate. But um, you know, 
it, it's just the repercussions of, of what happened. Um, I think we get into a couple of these people too, where it's a circumstance of your requirements that they are on this right. list. <laughs> exactly. Ty Wakington in 28, 2008 is, you know, from the, the lean years. And with yet, when you have Biggio and Bagwell on those, you probably would go with the third option, which is probably somebody that had a okay year, but, but not a great year. And then mm -hmm, exactly. somebody that you would consider a, a classic Astro. Uh, Michael Bourne was a great, you know, um, a defender and uh, center fielder, which is obviously very, important position uh, for to have good defense in. And, and Ivan Rodriguez, you know, Pudge, uh, you don't really think of him as an Astro, but uh, again, I think that you have to, you had to get somebody for 2009 on this list and, and uh, he's a pretty good one. Yeah. And I mean, in, in all, if, if you're really rolling out with this lineup, you probably, you could put Altuve at DH and, you know, sit Chris Carter because Altuve is probably a better hitter overall. Chris Carter will give you a lot of pop. Um, but yeah, so that, that's probably what you do in an actual game. Um, and then Bisho actually played some center too. So, you know, yeah, came up he, as a catcher too. Came up as a catcher. That's <laughs> right. Uh, so um, they, uh, uh, center field, he, he, he bit the dust a few times on Tiles Hill when we've had Tiles Hill. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he wasn't too thrilled with that, but uh, he gave it his best effort. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to Tiles Hill again a little later <laughs> on in the show. Um, now, as we move along to the, the pitching staff, we'll start with the rotation. And I'll start with a pitcher who was acquired in a midseason trade, Randy Johnson, in 98. Um, obviously, Randy Johnson had some phenomenal years there in Seattle. In 98, he was not putting up typical Randy Johnson numbers. I know he had some, some injuries. He was kind of unhappy there in Seattle. And once he got traded to Houston, wow. Yeah. He made 11 starts. He went 10 and one ERA of 128. Uh, it, it's a small sample size in just 84 innings, but his ERA plus was 322. He struck out 116 in 84 and a third innings. Uh, his whip of under one, 12.4 Ks per nine, just, you know, unreal numbers there down the stretch for Houston in 98. Um, Got another lefty, Mike Hampton in 99. He went 22 and four, led the league with those 22 wins, uh, ERA of 2.9. Um, and, you know, Hampton, th this was back when they were in the NL still. So his value as a batter was also of use. He could swing it a little bit. Um, Roger Clemens uh, in 05. You know, I know that he's probably most associated with the Red Sox and Yankees um, and the Blue Jays to, to a certain extent, but had some great final years there uh, for the Astros. And in 05, led the league with that 187 ERA um, in over 200 innings there, ERA plus of 226 and a FIP of 287, 6.4 hits per nine. Those all led the league as well. Uh, didn't get much run support there as he only went 13 and eight, uh, but they were the pennant winner that year in 05. In 06, Roy Oswalt, he was worth six wins, led the league with a 298 ERA. He went 15 and eight. Um, then rounding out the rotation, I've got Garrett Cole from 2019. He went 20 and five, led the league with an ERA at two and a half, also led the league with 326 strikeouts. Wow. 
Um, ERA plus of 185, FIP of 264, 13.8 Ks per nine. Those all led the league as well. Uh, what do you think on this rotation? I mean, it's it's pretty uh, impressive. That's pretty stout. <laughs> I think that uh, uh, you would do pretty well. Um, obviously, Randy Johnson was a was a half year rental. But when he came in, he was just amazing. It was just watching him was crazy. He just blew everybody away. Um, that was the uh, one of those rentals that actually worked out great. You know, um, obviously we didn't 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 finish it off that year, but it wasn't his fault. <laughs> Mike Hampton is a is a fan favorite. He, you know, just his attitude. Um, he was just that bulldog attitude. Uh, great pitcher, really really good hitter maybe a better hitter. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, being in the National League, that actually is a huge advantage to have a pitcher that can hit. Um, you know, you don't have that dead spot in, in the lineup. And Clemens, obviously, he's a hometown uh, guy. And, and right. uh, uh, so coming back home to try to, you know, get us over the hump with Biggio and Bagwell and in 2005, coming back with Andy Pettit, uh, that was, you know, pretty exciting times. Um, and obviously we didn't, we got to the World Series that year, but uh, um, didn't, didn't quite get there. Um, and Royo again, he's, he's a fan favorite too. He's, he's just, um, one of those, um, you know, great pitchers that really, you know, hits it with the fans. Um, and Garrett Cole's Garrett Cole. Everybody knows Garrett Cole at this point. The, the years, the two years he had with the Astros were just amazing. Just incredible. The 326 strikeouts broke a Astros record that was held by J.R. Richards since 1979. Um, so that's a long time to have <laughs> uh, 303 was J.R. Richards uh, uh, strikeout record and um, to have that broken, you know, um, uh, that, that's pretty remarkable. So that, like I said, that's a pretty stout <laughs> rotation there. Yeah. As we get to the bullpen, we've got uh, Dave Veras from 95. Uh, he went five and one out of the pen with a 2.26 ERA. He appeared in 72 games, over 100 innings, so he can give you, you know, multiple multiple innings out of the pen. Uh, Billy Wags, Billy Wagner, the lefty in 03, you know, he's appeared on a lot of these rosters as he's played for multiple teams, and he's been great everywhere he went. Uh, he was worth 3.4 wins. Um, just a 1-4 and four record, which sometimes you'll see with a closer – uh, had an ERA of 178, 44 saves, struck out 105 in 86 innings there. Um, just a dominant reliever wherever he's been. Um, Octavio Detell from 02 uh, made 83 appearances, 97 in the third innings, 185 ERA. He was worth 4.2 wins, struck out 118 in those uh, 97 in the third innings. Um, and then keeping the strikeouts moving along here, Brad Lidge in 04, he went six and five. That's a lot of decisions out of the pen. Um, he pitched about every other day, uh, made 80 appearances, 94 and two thirds innings. So he went six and five with a 1.9 ERA, 29 saves, 157 strikeouts in 94 and two thirds innings. Uh, Chad Qualls in 07, ERA right about three. Also a ton of de decisions out of the pen, six and five. Um, he had uh, 79 appearances. So, again, I mean, these guys, you know, Veras, 72 appearances. Wags, 78. Detell, 83. Lidge, 80. 
Qualls, 79. So these guys are pitching every other day. Rubber arms. Um, <laughs> Wilton Lopez in 2012, he went 6-3, and three, 2.17 ERA out of the pen. I mean, and just a pedestrian, 64 appearances and 66 in the third <laughs> innings compared to the other guys. Um, and rounding it out, Will Harris in 2015, he went 5-5. Five and five. Again, ton of decisions out of this bullpen. Um, yeah. 1.9 ERA. Uh, he had two saves for them, 71 innings. He struck out just about a batter per 68 strikeouts in 71 innings. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of live arms in this bullpen. Uh, what were oh your thoughts? Gosh, yeah. Any memories of these guys? Oh, yeah. Well, Billy Wagner, I mean, he just uh, – the guy could bring it. I mean, he just had an arm and then just, he had, had a gunslinger attitude too. When he came in, you just felt like oh, he's just going to shut him down. He was one of those relievers that if it was the ninth and you had a run lead, it was over. And uh, obviously he had four losses, but you know, th- those things are going to happen to, to relievers, uh, particularly if you pitched in so many games. Um, so yeah, he's a huge fan favorite. He's, he's, he's trying to get into the hall of fame. Mm-hmm. He didn't quite play, as long as some other players, yeah, I think he said he wanted to shut it down early so he could be with his family, um, which is admirable, but, you know, it does affect your, your career numbers. But, you know, in his peak, he was definitely Hall of Fame caliber. Mm-hmm. Um, Octavia Wittetel was another one that could just bring the heat. He was just a, a big arm and lots of strikeouts, you know. Um, and the same with Brad Lidge, just, mm-hmm. just crazy, you know, big arms you know so we've been kind of spoiled during that period of with the relievers you know we just always seem to have somebody that could just come in and shut people down and and uh, a true closer when they would close it out they would not you know it wouldn't be one of these things that like oh my gosh they're bringing him in you know <laughs> with a yeah. lot of these teams where you're like oh great <laughs> you know um so yeah that that's um, um a pretty good pretty good bullpen then uh, chad qualls was a very good quality quality reliever uh, Wilson Lopez, I think, is one of those guys that's in the um, the dark area, and you had to pick somebody for 2012. And, and yeah. uh, uh, um, but Will Harris too is a very good reliever, uh, relatively recently, and and, and uh, you know is, is um, really quality uh, relief pitcher. Yeah, so that's uh, that's uh, the pitching staff, and you know we discussed the whole team and listeners. If you know if you are so inclined, if you're motivated to make a roster, whether it's for the Astros or any other team. You can go ahead and visit the website, boxseatbanter.com. Um, there's a there's a link to download a spreadsheet off of you know Google Spreadsheets. Um, you can go ahead and download that um, and, and make your own roster. And you know if you do, we would love to see it. Go ahead and submit those. Um, but yeah, it, it was a fun fun uh, experiment putting this Astros roster together. It's really a great uh, project you have here. This this the whole concept is, is is really intriguing and it, it really is like a puzzle trying to figure out well where does who can i get from this year you know versus that year and position and um you can't just kind of go down the list and say you know pick this person that person yeah really you do have to look at the whole the whole uh, span of the 25 years yeah and uh you know there are it is a puzzle. That's the best way to put it. And yeah, there are players that we cannot get and we'll discuss those guys coming up right here. Tony, anytime we put these together and as you mentioned, you know, it is a puzzle. There's going to be pieces that fit into the puzzle and pieces that do not fit. And I'm sure, you know, listeners are, are chiming in 
like how could you uh how could you have this guy and not this guy or, or what are you thinking on this guy and, and this is a section we go over that um so i know you kind of you you, you put together a, a puzzle yourself a little bit um I know off air, you said that it, it was pretty similar to mine, um, but are there any differences? You mentioned one difference. Uh, you've mentioned one name who's not on mine, at least off air. So, you know, now right. you, you can mention those guys. Who right. did I miss out on and who are you kind of surprised uh, well, or not on this roster? Well, I switched out Bregman's 2018 for the 2019. Obviously, mm -hmm. he had a higher war, but he's still on the team. But that mm -hmm. allowed me to pick up Justin Verlander. Well, he would have been on the 2019 too, but I, I replaced Garrett Cole with, with Justin Verlander, mainly mm -hmm. because in 2018, he had such a, uh, not, it wasn't that much higher. They were pretty neck and neck mm -hmm. uh, in both 2018 and 2019. Um, but um, I, I, I think that the Justin probably out, out pitched uh, Cole uh, in those, those two years. Uh, obviously, if you were to pick a team that you wanted to take the field right now, particularly with, with Verlander being injured, but even then, if he weren't injured his age, he would probably want to go with, with, with Cole. But uh, for this particular exercise, I switched those out. Um, I also, Dallas Keuchel, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. would be- Yeah, I think uh, he, won, he won the Cy Young there with Houston, right? Right. Um, so, it, but again, this is a puzzle and, you know, he's 2015. And so who do you take off? I think that would be, a, um, well, which of these starting pitchers would you take off? So if you take somebody out of the starting lineup, you have to, right. you know, one of those other years, you'd have to find somebody else to 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 to, to take this place. So, um, um, so yeah, you know, it's unfortunate with this exercise that people like that don't quite have a, a spot. But but that's that's part of the fun of it is is how do you mix and match? Yeah. Yeah, Verlander was definitely one of the uh, the big names. Yeah, Keiko is tough. You know, win a Cy Young and not crack the rotation. Um, it's that, but you know, that's a look at that rotation. I mean, you got some guys that are just yeah. And then in there, you know, you, you've kind of mentioned their dark years before, and you know, you got to take somebody off from those years. Uh, but you know, recently they've had such a such a great team. They've had so many right. great players that you we haven't been able to include everyone. You know, no Verlander, and, and they're but, young too, so you can't pick an, an earlier year. You right? Know, you have no, like uh, five no, year span. No go. Springer. So Springer was um, was you know he's had some huge years. Um, it's tough to not have him on there. Um, you know, if you're going strictly with a DH, your Don your Don Alvarez. Yeah, he was rookie of the year, had a great year. Um, but it's only one year, so <laughs> you know you you just don't have a chance to put him anywhere else. Exactly, so. exactly. Uh, then uh, yeah, you you mentioned Keuchel. Carlos Lee was another guy. I think you know, longtime Astro. Uh, but you know, uh, Jose playing, Lima also he won twenty two games one year. Yeah, and, Lima uh, time. Lima time and Daryl Kyle. Uh, uh, you know, we've had a, a, a pretty stout history. Uh, a long history, some really great, you know, pitchers. So it's really difficult to, uh, to uh, pick them. Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. A lot of competition there for that rotation. A lot of, a yeah. lot of worthy candidates. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, it's tough. So uh, I, I couldn't really improve very much on your, your rotation and maybe switch out a few, few years to get some better war, but, you know, just personally, I think JV will uh, mm -hmm. for those particular two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other names I wanted to mention, so you mentioned Keiko, 
uh, Carlos Lee. I just uh, Morgan Ensberg had a couple couple oh, good yeah. years at third base, yeah. um, and Moises Alou had a huge year in '98. Oh yeah, oh he was just incredible that year. He just was amazing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know guys like Bagwell and Biggio, you could take pretty much any year out of those guys. And you know if you take a different year, the you know the the dominoes are going to fall differently. And Absolutely. you may be able to get some different guys on there. <laughs> um, and, you know, if, as an Astros fan doing this, you may have certain sentimental connections to certain players that you just want to include on your roster. Whereas I don't have any of those connections. I, I just right, kind of no. do it strictly. So, you know, an Astros fan doing this, you might, you know, it, it's fun to do it for that as, you know, a walk down memory lane as you kind of remember these guys. and Right. Uh, Particularly like, like somebody like Jose Lima, you know, yeah. he's such a personal guy and, you know, he's passed away. And, and so mm-hmm. he was definitely a fan favorite. And, and uh, uh, you know, with the 22 wins, he had just a huge year for us that, that one year. And um, um, somebody like him, I think, is, is somebody a lot of people might try to find a spot for. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So again, you know, if you want to make a roster on your own, you know, go ahead, visit the website, download that spreadsheet, make it. Um, it is a fun, fun little experiment, Definitely. a fun project. Um, and it's, you know, if you're you're yelling at me for omitting these guys, well, now here's your chance to include that's, those guys right. and make a make a that's roster right. that's better than mine. That's right. If you like Jose Lima, you're going to take Randy Johnson off. I mean, come <laughs> on. I mean, that's, that's that's the problem with this. Or the, the the interesting part of this this exercise. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's fun. Go ahead and make one, and again, submit it if you do. It is time to get to our listener questions. Every week, we open it up for the listeners to submit questions. Uh, and we do so on Twitter and Instagram. So again, make sure to follow on both those platforms and, and get those questions in. Um, our first question comes from Matt Hutchison, who is a, he's been a guest on the show a couple times um, discussing the Giants and the A's. So discussing, you know, as an A's fan, he is heavily invested in, you know, the Astros playing in the same division and, and finishing behind them in, in recent years. He asks, should the title be stripped? Um, you know, we can both answer that one. So, Tony, first I'll let you answer that one. Should it be stripped? And, you know, we've never before, uh, before I let you answer, you know, we've never really seen a cheating scandal like this for a winner. You know, you got to go back to 1951 where the Giants had a, you know, similar sign-stealing scandal uh, where you know they were, they had somebody out in the scoreboard with a with a telescope, and he was flashing the signs. Um, and they came back. They 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 beat the Dodgers to win the pennant. Um, they ultimately lost to the Yankees in the World Series. So the prior cheating scandal did not result in a World Series champion, um, whereas this one did. So we've never seen anything like it before. We, we, there's no prior example to go on. Um, so what do you think? Should the title be stripped? Uh, honestly, I understand people um, not thinking that it's, it, was, it was won, but I think that that's a slippery slope because we could start going back and looking at lots of different uh, events and lots of different teams, uh, PEDs, you know, even Pine Tar can, can, can affect the outcome of, of a series, uh, which, you know, is accepted, but it's still cheating. Um, 
So I think that that, that is kind of a dangerous uh, road to take and um, where I understand people wanting to put an asterisk on it. And uh, I think that mm -hmm. officially removing uh, or stripping the asterisk from the championship, I think is, 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 is probably not the right thing to do. Um, and what would you do with it? Would you give it to the Dodgers? I mean, it, it's, 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 it's just a difficult thing to, to, um, to do. And, and um, so for my opinion, I, I would say no, um, mm -hmm. but I, I understand how some people feel that it should be. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, if it were to be stripped, you, I, you know, you can't give it to anybody else. Cause I mean, you don't know if, if the Yankees would have won in the, you know, so you can't give it to the Dodgers because uh, they could have been playing the Yankees right. and the Dodgers could have yeah. lost to the Yankees. So, and I will say too, I've looked at, you know, I, I logged all the, the bangs that I could from the home games mm -hmm. uh, that year. And um, I have listened to the playoffs and have not found any evidence of them using the banging scheme in the playoffs. Uh, now the, the audio quality of, of the recordings of the, the video progressively gets worse every series. So in the LA series, it was really, really bad because of the crowd noise. But if you think about it, if you have a system that is based on audio, audible signals, right, it breaks down if the crowd gets too loud. So right. it, it could have been that they tried and, and it didn't work, or you know, or that I just can't hear because of the way that the audio was recorded. I can't say that they did or didn't, right? Um, but um, I haven't been able to detect anything where I was able to very clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, over 1100 bangs I was able to hear in the in the, in the regular season so yeah. uh you know Correa said that that, that they um that the, the trash can was there but you know the, they didn't use it as much because it didn't work as well the commissioner said they used it through the playoffs but he didn't get very good details <laughs> yeah which that, is, <laughs> that, the report that... was was pretty bad as far as details go right I mean how can you say they used it during the playoffs, during the playoffs that they won the World Series and not give any more details. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really need to get a little bit more detail, I think, with, some, yeah. with a situation like that. I think the report, it was, they didn't want to, kind of like, you know, the, the steroid scandal you know, in the 90s, you know, it was kind of like sweeping it under the rug because it's a, it's a black eye to baseball and, and baseball doesn't want to, you know, admit that there was such, you know, cheating to you know this we don't know to what degree it was um i think they do and they might not want to admit that all this was going right. on under their watch so yeah they released this report right. that is pretty vague and doesn't really say much but the problem is, is you if you create that vacuum of information people will fill that vacuum and so then you have people <laughs> saying that you exactly. know they did this they whistled they have you know all this other stuff that, that there's no evidence for mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so it doesn't stop people from speculating or from believing something, something happened and so it's better which is one of the reasons i wanted to do the right. site that i did i wanted to find the truth and i wanted to publish the truth the whole truth whatever it was so that people could yeah could look at it and make their own judgment and mm -hmm. um uh and unfortunately like I said, the audio quality of, of the playoffs, I can't say one way or the other that it did or didn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, uh, but that's, you know, I understand people's uh, not giving them benefit of the doubt because, you know, they don't necessarily deserve it, but I don't have any firm evidence that they cheated in the playoffs. Right. Um, yeah. And, and you mentioned, yeah, it would be a slippery slope if we do strip them. 
I thought, you know, before the report came out, I didn't, um, you know, this was just when it was revealed that they were cheating. Um, but before, you know, and then that the investigation was starting, uh, I didn't feel like there could be any, you know, that they could strip them. Um, and then when they announced the penalty uh, as, as a non-Astros fan, it felt light, um, but, you know, whatever. Um, but then I think the thing that a lot of fans are having trouble with is like the, how, you know, Jim Crane and how some of the members of the organization have handled it. And I think that's created a lot of animosity and, you know, wanted more reason to kind of strip the title. Um, regardless of all of that, though, you know, in the court of public opinion, people, you know, they, they know what happened and whether it's stripped or not, it's there. If there's an asterisk or not, people are going to remember it how they want to remember it. Um, you know, some Astros fans may remember it fondly. They may think that it, the title was earned. Some may and question it. If you took it away, they would still feel the Astros fans would feel the same way. If you, exactly, if you keep exactly. it, the, the people, the, you know, the fans of other teams will feel the same way. It's not going to change really how anybody feels about that, you know, particular World Series. Um, so I, I, you know, it, it, like I said, you know, if you start doing that, we could look at a lot of different things. And, yeah. So I, I, mean, think- I feel like some of the Yankees late, you know, 90s World Championships are, are tainted because of, you know, they were bigger PED users than a lot of other teams. But that's my opinion. And, you know, how can we prove that it made that much of a difference? Right. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the court of public opinion will, will put that title wherever, you know, each person thinks that it should be. Um, and Matt wanted to chime in for the millions of listeners around the world. He says to strip them. <laughs> I would also like to say, when you talked about uh, Jim Crane and his handling of the situation, it really was a mishandling of the situation. The, the, the PR, the, the crisis management from the Astros and Jim Crane was abysmal. It was horrible and um, uh, it was a total disaster. Um, so I get people being frustrated and upset at them because I am. And um, I think a lot of Astros fans just want him to shut up. <laughs> you know, they just mishandled it from the very beginning. And, yeah. Um, and uh, so I, it, it's very understandable how people feel about the mm-hmm. Astros. Yeah. Jim Crane kind of ahead of the game with the analytics with Lou now there, but probably behind the game quite a bit with his PR. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, and again, I mean, this is not it, kind of a bit of a question from Billy Petru. Uh, and, and this is more kind of, showing the displeasure from other fan bases how can we get the astros out of mlb so we don't need to answer that but i just want that's some of the feelings from from fans across the league uh you know is it tough to be a fan of a team right now that it's kind of public enemy number one with the other 29 teams you know it, it, it's been a rough year to be honest with you um uh, the way i dealt with it was to look at it analytically and do this project so that i could try to understand the scope of it who was involved and to try to you know fill in some of the gaps with with real information that, that was missing from the astros and from mlb on this subject but it's still very difficult uh to be on any sort of social media and bringing up the astros um 
the thing that I think frustrates a lot of people is that, you know, we're not the ones that cheated. The fans didn't cheat, you know, right. we, yeah. we, we were kind of victims in, in a way too of this, this. So, you know, if you're on social media and, and I'm saying I, I'm an Astros fan and you say cheaters, you're not telling the people that actually cheated anything. They're never going to see that. You're really just kind of dumping on a fan who was, was, uh, you know, uh, had nothing to do with it except just happened to be, uh, you know, a fan of the team and you know um i've told other people but you know it's my team i didn't you know pick yeah. them out of out of, a, out of a hat you know it's it's just i it's kind of like family you don't get to pick your team and right and it is my team more than than any other person you know it's the fans team really mm-hmm. so um this will pass but you know I, I just hope that people will um eventually kind of forgive the astros as a entity you know this fictional entity of, of of a team and you know if you want to hold it against certain players and then okay but um right you know uh um you know eventually hopefully this will all kind of die down and then yeah not people won't forget but they will forgive or just move on i guess right um yeah and i forgot to and the second half of matt's question was uh, you know kind of more towards me would my answer be different if the roles were reversed you know um and i like you said, as a fan, it's, it's tough because, yeah, you were not a part of it. You want to look at it. You know, you're rooting for these guys. You, you have certain feelings towards them, and then it's kind of tainted now. And I would be, you know, if it were, if the shoe were on the other foot, if the Dodgers had won the 2017 World Series, but it, it came out that they were cheating, you know, I would be, I would be heartbroken. Um, and, and I probably would not, not think, you know, hold that title as in high regard you know you look back at some of the pat you know that 88 world series um i i was too young to remember it but i've certainly seen everything and i have fond feelings towards that title um and then of course this 2020 year uh it, it was an odd year but definitely have have very good feelings towards that i would not i don't think we you know would not have good feelings towards the 2017 title had it come about that the dodgers were, were cheating or you know doing something like that you know if you look at the definition of the word the 2017 title is tainted it, mm-hmm. it there's no way around it. It, it it's just it doesn't have there's question about it so it is definitely tainted um some astros fans won't won't admit that but just that's just the reality of of you know what happened in it. and um so um uh but like i said you know in some ways the fans are, are victims here too and, and right. frankly yeah. the way it's been so much we've taken so much crap that a lot of fans have basically gotten a kind of an FU attitude at this point. It's like, yeah. well, you know, if you're just going to keep dumping on me, then screw you. We're champs and deal with it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it's become kind of, it's gotten better over the last few months, you know, but it, it, it's uh, particularly as Astros players that were involved, start going to other teams, you know, like Springer just signed with the, with the Blue Jays, mm-hmm. you know? Um, uh, but it was particularly weird, like in, in uh, spring training when we did have fans how they were booing the astros right. but they had people involved on their team and <laughs> yeah. they were cheering them you know yeah. so it, it, it's it's um uh, it's been a tough year for astros fans but um you know it, it's getting better hopefully mm-hmm. and then our our next our couple questions our final questions come from joey Harmon, who again he's been a guest a couple times um, and before I get to this question, he just wanted to point out that he's got a lot of respect for you, um, you know, what, what you did in terms of your website and really looking at that and addressing it. Um, 
and, and trying to just find out more information because yeah you mentioned that the commissioner's report it was not full of information um so joey you know he he's got a lot of respect for you um and he kind of felt bad asking but he wanted to hear your opinion on you know houston and the pitchers and you know we see a huge uptick in spin rates and overall performance um you know do people think that's you know player development or you know analytics or is this like another kind of cheating scandal mm -hmm. I, I know that we've you know we already heard a bit about it with brian harkins you know the uh former angels uh, uh visiting clubhouse manager who got fired for selling some of that stuff to, to players um you know do you have any thoughts on that because i'll uh, let you go before i chime in yeah i think that that that, that uh foreign substance pine tar is the next scandal to happen and that will be as far as the astros go though um I think one of the things that's happened, one of the reasons it's becoming a scandal is because the analytics, the high-speed cameras allow you to use the foreign substances better. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can do more analytics on how to throw a pitch to get better spin rates um, and uh, basically make it more effective. There's also, you know, different substances that they're using. I think Trevor Bauer said he consulted <laughs> a, a chemical engineer mm -hmm. to come up with another substance. And obviously he, you know, um, has been a, a opponent of the, but it appears that this last year he actually started using <laughs> foreign substances and won the Cy Young, and nobody mm -hmm. seems to take that take too much uh, umbrage to that. But I think one of the things you have to think about is uh, you have to question how many pitchers do you think are using pine tar? Mm -hmm. Some estimates are seventy percent. Some say it's ninety, ninety-five percent. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, then pitchers coming to the Astros, it's not the first time they've ever heard of pine tar. You know, right. it's not like they take them to the, the back room and say, oh, here's our secret. It's pine tar. You know, mm -hmm. it's been going on for decades in, in MLB. So it's probably more related to their pitcher development, their use of high-speed cameras before anybody else and their yeah. analytics. Yeah. The, um, you know, you mentioned Trevor Bauer, his fastball spin, um, he was he, he's always been pretty good if you go back look at like in 2017 he was in the 72nd percentile then 2018 that jumped up to the 82nd then 2019 he was in the 89th and then this year he was in the 100s he's you know he's like had the the best fastball spin um if you look at it per game there's actually the last month of 2019 there's a 400 rpm mm. spit jump in his in his his four seamer mm -hmm. and uh and it continues and he even said after that 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 you know the only way to get 400 rpm spin rate increase is to use foreign substances mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah although uh, then when we yeah go on no i'm just saying that that that, that mm -hmm. and it's not a trevor bauer issue i think and i don't think it's an astros issue i think it's a league issue because it is pretty much league-wide at this point yeah i i, I agree but you know going back to the Astros real quick. I mean, we look at uh, Garrett Cole, you know, Trevor Bauer's former UCLA teammate. Um, Cole came up with the, the the Pirates and he had his, with the Pirates, his fastball spin velocity was, you know, far from elite. He was in like the 30s when you talk about his percentile across the league. Um, I think he actually started throwing it faster though. 
Um, he did, yeah, I mean, and, and this is the Pirates are also notorious for not utilizing their pitchers the best. Um, we've seen it not just in, in Garrett Cole, but in some other pitchers right. as well who've gone on to other teams. Which is and, one of the reasons the Astros targeted him. They looked at the analytics and they saw mm-hmm. that they could improve his outcomes by adjusting how he pitched and what pitches he threw and how often. A lot of what the Astros do is say, this yeah. pitch gives you better outcomes, throw it more. Yeah, exactly. And this pitch is like, yeah, dump this pitch, throw this one. Although his, his fastball spin jumped from the 32nd percentile to the 81st percentile when he went over uh, yeah. to Houston. And in 2019, it was in the right. 95th percentile. So, so the question is, did, did he not know about pine tar? <laughs> or did he just not use it or or are uh, they do they have different you know do they have a better um well that's an issue that, that, that's coming up that, that that a lot of teams you know if you look at some of the latest reports teams are developing their own substances and advertising that to free agents saying if you come here you can use that and i think that the, that's something and it's not just the astros i don't even know if the astros are one of the teams that are doing that but I think league-wide, I think we need to be concerned about that because Mm -hmm. we really don't want this off-the-field chemistry, you know, engineer Mm -hmm. aspect of of that becoming how affecting the performance on the field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, those balls are are slick. Anyone who's caught a foul ball or has got a big league ball, you feel those things are, you know, they're like cue balls. They are, they're slick. So It's ridiculous. Um, you know, I know that they've got that special rubbing mud from a special location, <laughs> um, a secret location um, on the, uh, yeah. what what river is it? Is it like the, the Hudson River, I want to say? Some weird river somewhere, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, secret locations, mud that every ball is rubbed up with to kind of, you know, get rid of that sheen a little bit and give it some some grip, but it's, yeah. it's not but, enough. Yeah, in Korea, the Korean leagues, they use a, a ball that's tackier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are some solutions to this. Uh, uh, and it used to be that people thought it was for grip and so that they could, you know, not be mm-hmm. people or it wouldn't slip. But we now know that it really is about spin. Yeah. And that it really is about, um, you know, uh, just getting that extra little edge. Mm-hmm. And that certain, like we were just talking about, there are different substances that work better than others. So, you know, is do we want a pitcher to be successful because he has a better substance than, I mean, if you're, maybe we could just legalize it and say, this is the substance you're going to use. Yeah. So, I think, I think that's the best solution is to right. create something league wide, create a standard um, that, you know, cause I mean, they, they have the rubbing mud that they put on there. They should, there could be something else right. that they provide. But it, I don't think it's a situation that can continue where basically most of the pitchers in the league are ignoring the rules. I think that mm-hmm. if you have rules, they need to be enforced or you need right. to get rid of the rules. Yeah. Um, because that does lead to people kind of saying, well, the rules are not necessarily rules and that we can start to, to, to um, you know, stretch that here and there. And, and uh, uh, um, so, um, you know, it's been kind of an issue that I've, I've, I've actually had a couple conversations with Trevor Bauer online <laughs> <laughs> about it. He's responded to me a few times. Yeah. Um, Although if so. you do, if you are using something to put on the balls, so Coca-Cola, some Vaseline or something, just make sure that it's made in the USA because it says no foreign substances. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Maybe that's how he justifies it. <laughs> um, he but seems then, like a made in the USA type of guy. <laughs> We'll finish up with a lighter note here on the questions. Again, one more question from Joey. He says, do you miss Towels Hill? 
Um, should we have more features within the playing field that make parks unique or just keep that stuff outside the lines? Uh, Towns Hill was interesting and it was, it was funny, but I think it actually ended up being dangerous. I mm -hmm. think, you know, if you're going in a full sprint on a flat surface and then you, you know, you don't really know where the hill is, it, it, it could be dangerous. I mm -hmm. think that, but certain aspects of, of the parks, I think it would be fun to have different, you know, different fences and, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. different, different layouts and stuff, uh, you know, um, but I think particularly Taos Hill, while it, it, it was intriguing and it was fun to watch some of the videos, I think um, it was just an injury waiting to happen, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think yeah, it is kind of a fun quirk. But yeah, I think anything that's that's an injury risk like that is unnecessary. Um, some of the, the old parks, you know, I mean, now there's we don't really have any old parks aside from, you know, Wrigley and Fenway. Um, the old parks, I think it's understandable to have like so brick fences <laughs> well not brick but maybe like some like quirky quirky corners in the outfield yeah. you know uh but in modern parks i don't think we should have any like real dangerous quirky areas um it, yeah it's nice to have different dimensions different fence sizes and heights yeah. and that kind of stuff that's all great it gives each park their character um but you know i i don't feel like again in this modern world with all the architectural advancements we have there's no need to have bullpens on the field to have hills on the field um although it is and you know the flagpole was on the field too right it was and it was in fair play so if you hit a 500 mile yeah. or 500 foot ball and hit that flagpole and bounce back in it was a double or whatever yeah so <laughs> it, it is it is kind of quirky and it is a fun little thing but i think the yeah the injury risk is unnecessary in this day and age um, particularly with the, the, the way they're paying the, these players and then just the, it, 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 it's such a, a big hit to a team to have a right. player go out. Yeah. So those are the questions this week. Uh, understandably, they all kind of, um, there was a, a, a certain theme to them. Um, it wasn't yeah. surprising, honestly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so those are the questions again, make sure to follow on Twitter and Instagram, get those questions in. Tony, we've been, you know, talking a lot about uh, the the team in the past 25 years. We kind of got off track there in the last segment talking about the scandal, but we'll get back to the to this team now. Um, you know, what? How, how would you grade this team that I've constructed, this Astros roster, maybe some of the strengths and weaknesses, and, you know, what letter grade would you assign it? Uh, this is obviously a very, very strong team here. I think the infield is, 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 you know, top notch and, and an A, uh, the starting rotation, I would be pretty hard to beat, you know, and there might be a few teams that could beat it, but I think that that's definitely, I think that the definitely an A, I think the outfield, you know, there, you got Hunter Pence here, uh, Lance Berkman and Richard Hidalgo. Uh, I think if you look at their careers, um, it, there might be some teams that could beat that. So that's probably a, a B outfield. Um, and then if you start looking at the bench, you know, we have Ty Wingington and, and, and Michael Bourne, which had some pretty good years, that, you know, they had some pretty good years with the Astros. But I think if you look at their careers, that's it, it, uh, maybe a weak spot. So I think overall, I think I would probably give this a B plus, maybe an A minus, but, but I think a B plus is, is a fair grade. Yeah, you know, I think offensively, they've got some good speed there. They got as a group, they've got a lot and a lot of stolen bases. Um, as a group, they also have the most hit by pitches. 
Um, but overall, they're kind of average across the board in other categories. The infield, as you mentioned, is strong. Um, the outfield leaves a little bit to be desired. You know, Hidalgo, he had a lot of pop that year. Um, but yeah, Hunter Pence, not his best year. Um, teasing here from Berkman, yeah, but the outfield feel like could do better. The strength of the of the lineup definitely comes from the infield. Um, the catcher is a bit of a weak spot. You know, Jason Castro had a good year that year, um, but yeah, Pudge tail end of his career not a not a not a typical Pudge year. So catcher's a bit weak. Um, that rotation, a very strong rotation, surprisingly good bullpen. I was surprised at how good this bullpen turned out to be a great ERA, good K numbers. And I, you know, I agree with you. I'm, I'm giving them a B plus overall. So our grades are, are pretty much in line with each other listeners. If you want to chime into the conversation, give it a grade. You can, you know, hit, hit me up on social media. Tony, we've been discussing a lot here in terms of, you know, things that have happened in the past quarter century for the Astros. So, you know, I'll go ahead, throw it to you first to share your final thoughts on, on the Astros, on the organization, anything that you want to share. Okay. Thank you, Billy. And I, I want to thank you for being here. This is a really interesting uh, uh, project and, and an interesting exercise. And it's been a lot of fun uh, talking to you about the Astros. Um I would like to just address the uh, the asterisks in the room, like we talked about earlier, and just say that that uh, obviously, you know, the the recent history of the Astros is is um, somewhat tainted with a lot of fans. Um, but if you look at this team from their start, you know, it, it's been um, a very enjoyable team and a, relative, and a pretty competitive team given their market size and and um, uh, and you know, it has a pretty rich history and uh, a lot of great Astros fans, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, been one of the thrills of my life, just, you know, to be an Astros fan. And in the end it is baseball, you know, and I understand people are angry at this team right now. And I understand that, that uh, it's justified, um, but, you know, um, they made some mistakes and, uh, and hopefully people will, unless you have to forgive, but I think that, that, maybe a little bit of understanding and to realize that, that, you know, it's a game and, um, uh, you know, hopefully we can all just kind of at some point get back to enjoying the game and, and being fans and, you know, some lighthearted ribbing every once in a while. And, <laughs> but, uh, you know, for me, it, it, it's, uh, um, it's been a tough year for it as an Astros fan, but I, I you know, we'll get through it and um, uh, hopefully other fans can, can, and they don't have to, like I said, they don't have to forget. They don't have to forgive. But, you know, let's just hopefully get to the point where we can just worry about playing baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I close up here, you know, I agree with you. The, the Astros, they are, they're tarnished recently, um, rightfully so, you know, by that recent history. But, you know, they, they've had some, you know, if we just look at this past quarter century, they've had a very exciting stretch there from the, you know, mid nineties to the mid two thousands, that kind of decade run there. And it should not be overlooked. Um, They kind of have been overshadowed by recent history, understandably so, um, but that stuff should not be forgotten. Um, They did not handle the scandal. Well, we kind of touched on that. The PR was, was terrible. Um, And it'll take some time for people to get over it. 
I think the the pandemic, I don't know if that, you know, helped or hurts the situation because I think that the fans, you know, they they wanted to voice their displeasure and they began doing so in spring training. Um, I know that people were looking forward to the Astros coming to town so they could go boo them. And, you know, it is kind of cathartic to maybe just get that out and that could maybe help the healing process. I'm not sure. You know, I was the Astros, I don't think they were scheduled to come to Dodger stadium, but you know, they obviously were going to come to angel stadium. And, you know, I was planning on going there for, you know, a game or two to, to voice my displeasure. Um, so I think not having that, I don't know if now we're kind of, we got through the season. I don't know if people will forget more or if they'll come out with a vengeance again, when they're able to attend, uh, but I think if they were able to go in 2020, maybe that would have sped up this process to get over it. I don't know. Um, I think it's just delayed it. So I think it'll, it'll happen for sure. Uh, you know, like we talked about earlier, more people are leaving the team that were part of the, the right. So yeah, it, it's kind of harder to, to look at, 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 you know, the Astros and, and uh, exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. It, it's going to make it harder to yeah get on. Cause you're going to go to an Astros game and there's going to be people who are not involved in that. They're just going to have to wear it from the fans, you know, because right. of what the past players have done. Uh, it's unfortunate for them. Um, but you know, maybe, maybe they'll do, and, and maybe that'll help get through this, you know, in other episodes that I've done talking about the teams, it's been, kind of easier to foresee their future whether they're a team contending right now or a team that's trying to rebuild and you see some of the stuff but with the Astros it's it's an odd they're at an odd place in their right now it's they, they've been contending for the past several years they we now have seen a couple guys go to other teams and with this whole um, scandal it, it's tough to know what's in the immediate future for the Astros as we go forward from here and their farm system isn't what it was previously. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, people say that the, the punishment wasn't very strong, but the draft picks actually are hurting. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, um, Tony, it's been fun talking about the Astros with you. I appreciate your perspective. Um, I appreciate, you know, what you've done as a fan to, you know, not, overlook this and actually provide something for, you know, baseball, uh, you know, take an additional kind of resource there to look into this. Uh, so, you know, I thank you for that. And again, I know Joey mentioned that he had a lot of respect for you. I also have a lot of respect for you, what you've done. I know, you know, it's not easy as a fan to have that, to go through that. So yeah, I appreciate that. It's been fun. Thank you for joining us here on the show today. Well, thank you, Billy. I really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed this time. Yeah. And again, that is um, so you can uh, check out his website. If you have not done so, um, signstealingscandal.com. Um, and then you can, if you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Adams underscore AT. Um, and uh, yeah, just positive, positive vibes out there for Tony Adams. Thank you, Tony. Uh, it's been fun talking about the Astros. This is Billy Ballas of Boxy Banter signing off.